Amen. You may be seated. Can you bring up the front light too? Thank you. I noticed that helps me a little more with uh, reading. So, Okay, we're going to let the uh, children be dismissed for junior church at this time. If you're not aware of this, most of you know that I started wearing a contact a couple months ago. And if you don't know this, uh, it is possible to lose your contact. I mean, like through the day, it's possible to lose your contact. And the odd thing is that uh, at about 11 o'clock last night, I was trying to take the contact out of my eye that wasn't there. Because I didn't know I had lost it. I just want you to know how confident I really am and that I deserve uh, your hearing ear because of uh, the fact that I am such a nigh unto perfect person. As you all know, I am not. I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 139. <coughs> Psalm 139. Received a phone call uh, yesterday. from one of my nieces who had something, uh, news that she thought was really good news. This is my, uh, the oldest of my parents' grandchildren, so it's my oldest niece. Her sister's one that had the baby last week. And uh, she called to let me know yesterday, Melinda, that uh, her and Steve are expectant. I was in preparation for our discussion this morning on the topic of life as a gift from God. I rejoiced with my niece at the uh, gift that God is in the process of giving to them. Thank God for the life that he has given into their care. Became a great uncle for the second time in seven days. A great uncle, old man. <laughs> I could hear in my niece's voice the anticipation of what it meant to be expectant. I could sense the thrill at the knowledge of the life that was now within her, distinct yet supported by. And I thought about the topic for this morning, the gift of life, and the fact that I live in a country that doesn't get the fact that life is an incredible gift from God to be cherished in all stages. Psalm 139 is perhaps one of the clearest arguments from Scripture for the value of human life. Verse 13 of Psalm 139, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together. Notice the personal pronouns in relationship to the activity of God in utero. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully, astonishingly, and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. 
when I was made, shaped in the secret place, speaking of the mother's womb, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And then David's response is this, how precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast, how magnificent, how large is the sum of them. This is a psalm that I believe celebrates the value of life as a gift from God. As I come to deal with this topic of abortion, which is a word that I know when I say that word, it is a word that is charged with difficulty. In our culture, there is much confusion because it is seen as a, an issue of political consequence. It is something that is left in the realm of politics. I also know that many within our church family, because of the vast number of abortions that have been performed in America, I know that as I speak on this topic, there is the possibility that some will feel wounded and reawakened to pain that has been hushed for years. I am conscious of that as I speak this morning. I am conscious of the fact that many of in our church family would love to have children and have been unable to. And so this topic, when this comes up, there is in their mind a sense of perplexity and confusion. And I know that this issue is seen as a political issue. And I want to be very, very clear this morning. What I am sharing with you this morning is not intended in any way to be perceived as partisan or in any way political. My desire is to, to the best of my ability, which I confess feels weak today, to the best of my ability to, con to communicate truth and to ask that God by His Holy Spirit would open our hearts to receive the truth of His Word in regards to this issue, the gift, the precious gift of life. I will not deal with this from a political perspective because I know that my opinions have no authority. None of ours do in this realm. Our task as a church, my job as a pastor, is to communicate the light of all biblical truth so that Psalm 119 can be fulfilled. How can a person keep their way pure? How can we live right in relationship to the gift of life? By keeping it according to your word. And so when we come to an issue like this that is charged, we need to deal with it from a biblical perspective. Shed the light of truth. We need to speak out on truth if we care about the country we live in. Because the word of God says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. We need to wrestle with the question, what is abortion? It is a hard question to ask. But we need to have the courage to wrestle with this question because I believe that the answer from Scripture in terms of when does life begin, what is life, is abundantly clear from the Word of God. This is a topic that our country has fallen down on, I believe, with all of my heart. 35 years ago, on January 22nd of 1973, the Supreme Court gave us legalized abortion on demand. The question that we need to ask as part of humanity, as part of the body of Christ, as part of America is this. Is that verdict issued by the courts morally 
right? Is it morally proper, justifiable, right? That's the question we need to wrestle with. That leads me to a second question. Who determines what is morally right and wrong? And I want to say very clearly, I am not a determiner of what is right and wrong. We live in a country that believes that government, driven by popular opinion, has the right to declare what is morally appropriate and inappropriate. I want to be on the record as saying this. I love the fact that I live in a democracy, but democracy is not the God-given means of determining what is right. It is very possible that the majority of people in America could be wrong on a moral issue if they are not guided by the light and precious truth of God's word. Romans 13 gives to our government the responsibility to establish moral absolutes in relationship to life. Romans 13 is very, very clear on that. And yet we as Christians must understand that government is made up of human beings who are fallen. Those human beings are capable of rendering decisions, verdicts that are in fact immoral and before God Almighty unjust. On March 6th of 1857, the Dred Scott case is a clear example of the immorality of a decision rendered by the Supreme Court of America. The verdict on that day was this. Negroes are less human in the eyes of the law. They were wrong. They were the supreme authority in our country, but they were wrong. We need to understand that as human beings, public opinion cannot be the final determiner of truth. For 35 years, it has been a legal right in this country to terminate the life of a child in the womb. The question I want to beg this morning, is that morally acceptable? Is that biblically justifiable? My question this morning is not, does it bother you? It's not the question. It's not the question. The question is, is it morally right or wrong? The answer to that question comes down to a very simple truth. Is what lies within a mother, is what my niece is carrying inside of her a human life? That's the question that has to be answered. I did not yesterday have to ask my niece who was calling me to celebrate her pregnancy whether or not she believed it was a life. I did. She would have thought it absurd if I asked that question. Because if it's not a life, then what is she sharing? And what is she so excited about? And what's the buzz in Harleysville, my hometown, with my parents and the extended family? Why the excitement? Because intuitively, humanity knows and has throughout most of recorded history that what lies within a pregnant woman is, in fact, a life. The justice who wrote the majority opinion, Justice Blackman, made no attempt to determine or define when life begins, when this decision concerning abortion was rendered in 1973. He said, we need not resolve the difficult question of when life begins in this verdict. We need not resolve the question of when life begins. The question we should ask is why not? 
Isn't that the heart of this issue? We ended up with a monumental decision that affects millions for decades, but we don't answer the crucial question when life begins so that we actually know what we are doing. And if you've participated in this, let me say this to you. Most people who have participated in abortion were completely uninformed and misguided. They weren't given the truth. I think it's important that you know that people understand that. His reason for not answering the question of life begins, I think, is twofold. He didn't want to wrestle with the answer. He did not want to know the ramifications of the answer to that question. But secondly, he said the people had different opinions of when life began, so it would be impossible to come up with a consensus, a democratically satisfying answer to the question of when life begins. That is a fascinating oversight. In his words, he said, it should be sufficient to note briefly the wide divergence of thinking on this most sensitive and difficult issue. End of story. What determined truth in regards to the morality of life and its termination? What determined it? Public opinion. Folks, I love our country, but there is a danger in democracy too. There is a danger in the will of the people being the moral standard that we live by. They ignored historical precedent, did not resolve the defining issue, is this a life? They ignored precedent and the preamble to our Constitution, which speaks clearly and justly, I would say, of our being endowed by God with the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That was just ignored a fundamental part of the documents that founded this nation, set aside because there was too wide of a divergence of opinion. The result is that since 1973, 43 million plus, I believe, innocent lives have been eliminated. Our country, I believe, has a serious problem on its hands. That problem is the blood of innocent people. Now, I want to say this as a qualifier. As I address this issue, attempting from a biblical perspective, I want to be clear on something. The church in America cannot afford to become singular in its focus. We cannot so address this issue as to cloud the other incredibly large moral injustices that are present within our country. We can't so focus on this issue that we never address the other issues that are compelling and equally worthy of being addressed from a biblical perspective. And I want to say this, the church has tended to do that. It's for that reason that sometimes we get a bad name. But the other thing I want to say is this, if you stand up for truth on this issue, don't expect that it will win you a good name. Don't expect that it will make you popular. The purpose of standing up for truth is to honor the glory of our creator who made us in his glorious image. Al Mohler said this about the Supreme Court and this is, Al Mohler is just one of the most insightful men in America today. He said the Supreme Court may have the power to reverse legal precedent but it does not have the authority to reverse moral truth. Let that sink in. 
The Supreme Court may overturn moral precedent historically, but it does not have the right to reverse moral truth. Though, he goes on to say, abortion may have been illegal one day and legal the next. And please follow this. Though it may have been illegal January 21st of 1973 and legal on January 22nd of 1973, it was not on January 21st immoral. And on January 22nd, moral. Do you understand? Very important that you understand that distinction. That though it is legal, it does not mean that it is moral. The Supreme Court can render a verdict about it and say it's okay. But that does not mean that in the eyes of our Creator that it is okay. Okay? And it's just very important to me that you understand that very insightful comment on this issue. It is a fascinating trend then in America amongst people that are pro-abortion to speak of wanting it to be legal and yet rare. How many of you have heard that statement in recent years? We want abortion to remain legal, but rare. Do you sense an ambiguity in that? If it is, in fact, simply a medical procedure, a medical choice, like getting a filling in your tooth, then why would you want it to be rare? And I think the answer to that question lies in the human conscience. If you have ever, and I, I wouldn't recommend doing this. I did it yesterday, but I wouldn't recommend doing it. Anyone who is informed about the methods used in terminating the life of the unborn must be, as one writer says, shocked and horrified at what they read. I had a physical response to trying to read it. A physical response. And I think that has been exposed in recent years by courageous politicians who have stood on the floor and showed the truth. In a sense, pushing it in the face of those that don't want to deal with the question of when life begins. Well, look at this. And though I am at one level offended by the uh, panelized vans that drive around cities with the pictures, I understand the heart of the people that are trying to do that, that are trying to force people to reckon with the reality of the decisions that we make in this country regarding life. Though I wouldn't go drive the van, I understand. I understand that if you study up on this topic, you have a serious struggle in your heart. Some believe the government driven by human opinion, determines what is morally right in this issue. A biblical Christian, however, believes that the Word of God establishes morality. It is our final test for faith, what we believe, practice, how we live. And so as a Christian, I don't have the option of drifting with public opinion up and down the scale. As a Christian, I have an obligation before God to understand the truth of His Word and live by it and communicate that truth in the world that I am called to live in. It's for that reason that Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. Because of biblical truth, Al Mohler says, 
The church has become the last outpost of moral sanity. Because of biblical truth, the church has become the last outpost of moral sanity. We live in a world of moral ambiguity. It lacks clarity. The church should not be a place where morality lacks clarity. Why? We have the standard on our laps this morning, the Word of God. And as we address a complicated and difficult issue like this, it is pertinent that we flee to the Scriptures to find an answer to the question, when does life begin? I believe that we as a church have a God-given obligation to speak on moral issues. Therefore, we have an obligation to speak to this issue that is before us today. I'm going to make three very simple assertions along the lines of this topic. My, my desire is to answer the question from Scripture, when does life begin? Does the Bible regard the unborn child as a person or as an expendable mass of human living tissue? How does the Bible define what is happening within? And coming to the conclusion that if life begins at conception, then it is necessary for us to say that a human life is destroyed in a procedure called abortion. That is the undeniable truth that if what lies within a mother's womb from the time of conception forward is a human life, then ending that is the termination of human life and it is a violation of the right to life that God has given through His Word. To answer the question, I want to lay out a biblical view of life. But before I do that, I just want to share with you a couple observations from some things that I read recently. Medical facts concerning what's going on inside of a mother's womb. Between 18 and 25 days, the heart of the child, and I'm just going to predispose myself and what I say to my conviction from Scripture, the heart of the child is beating. Within eight weeks, brain waves can be detected and the medical definition of life at one level is met. Fingerprints are forming. Nine to ten weeks, thyroid and adrenal glands function. The child can squint, swallow, and move the tongue. And some of the pictures you see are amazing. They are amazing. Between 12 and 16 weeks, the child can suck its thumb and recoil from pain if pricked by a needle. At four months, the child is eight to ten inches long. All of this occurs before what the old English called quickening. How many of you know what quickening is? What is it? Okay, yeah. When, when you, my, oh, I, I felt something. I think if my reading is correct, somewhere around, I don't know this personally, but if my reading is correct, somewhere around five months, there is that quickening. And I want to tell you something. I've never heard anybody deny what that is. Ever. When a mom feels like, feels that kind of movement, you know what she says? Well, sometimes she says, that hurts. But what do they say? I felt my baby moving. I live in a country where that quickened child 
can be eliminated. That scares the daylights out of me. That should put the fear of God in us. We live in a country where people want to argue that you can, you can destroy that quickened life inside the mother's womb if you choose to do so. If you choose to not want it, then it is no longer a life. So I live in a country that values choice above life itself. A horrifying, perplexing ambiguity morally is present in the country that you and I live in. Davis said this in his book on Christian ethics, evangelical ethics. He said, it is interesting to note that the proponents of abortion rights do not want to discuss the physiological evidence concerning the humanity, the humanness of the unborn or the definition of life. What is it that they don't want to discuss? That little paragraph that I just read you about what's happening within mom's womb when a child is developing. That's physiological evidence. We just don't want that to be part of the discussion because the answer to that is abundantly clear. The New England Journal of Medicine has noted, noted recently that thousands of moms who have seen ultrasound pictures during the first and second trimester experienced significant emotional bonding and noted that the new techniques would add, and this is the secular side, the new techniques of seeing the child in 3D would add a humanizing and personalizing effect on how an unborn child is perceived. No kidding. I remember my niece, Lindsay, who had her baby last week, Bryn, showing us the pictures. She didn't say, look at what's within me. She said, look at my baby. She knew instinctively what it was that lied within. Another disturbing trend in this area of is it human or not is the trend of in uterine procedures on the unborn where the child becomes a patient. One writer makes this observation. The simultaneous heroic efforts to repair the birth defects of some unborn children and the abortions of other children with similar defects, sometimes at the same hospital on the same day. Now think about that. This writer says it points to the deep moral and legal schizophrenia that is surrounding America today. Folks, when you let go of the truth of God's word, when you release it, you will drift into moral schizophrenia. You will no longer be able to tell what is right and wrong. Read Romans 1. And that is where our country is. And the horrifying results are profound. The impact of this on the lives of millions of people, men and women who have been affected by this issue are unprecedented in our day. Contrast with me, and this is just an observation I made as I went through this, contrast with me, child as patient, operated on, success. What's the mood amongst those that did the surgery and the parents? What's the mood? Elated, joyful celebration. Contrast that with another medical procedure. Abortion. What's the mood? How do you feel after you're done that? How does a mom feel? 
I, I have, that is beyond me. But I can tell you this. You will see in uterine, if I'm saying that word properly, Brent, I don't know if I am. In uterine, okay. In utero operations on TV because it's a medical procedure. It's not offensive to anybody. I can guarantee you something. There is a medical procedure you will never see on TV. Because the right to life is God-given. It is inalienable. And it ought to be protected at all stages. How does the Bible describe the unborn? And I just want to work through this real quickly with you this morning. Psalm 139 is where I'd like you to look. How does the Bible describe what is within a mom during her term of pregnancy? How is it described? Psalm 139 and verse 13. It says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. One of the things that becomes evident is God has for the unborn child love, affection, plans, concern. He is watching over that process. And as David, without all of the medical terminology about DNA and formation, is celebrating the fact that God was personally involved in shaping him. And he uses personal pronouns over and over and over again to describe what lied within his mother's womb. Verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together is the idea that he's beginning to describe. Beginning of verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. How did David perceive what was present from conception forward? He clearly called it his unformed body, which means you're moving somewhere from eight weeks back. David is describing the work of God in drawing together the unique person that David would one day be. He saw his unformed body, shapelessness, yet much present. He can speak of him as a person. In Job chapter 3 and verse 3, Job reflecting in his pain says this, May the day of my birth perish and the night which said a boy is conceived. Job is saying my life right now is so horrific that I would like to go back to the night that said a boy is conceived. What is it? A male child in the womb of the mom on the night of conception. That is God's take on life. Matthew 1.18, the birth of the Savior, the glorious miracle of the incarnation when the Savior was put inside of Mary. She was found to be with child, a human from conception. And then the amazing passage, Luke chapter 1 and verse 41, when Mary, the cousin of Elizabeth, comes to tell her that she is expectant. And John the Baptist, lying within Elizabeth, springs with a physical reaction of joy. Amazing passage of Scripture. Describing the experience of elation in utero. Something that has always baffled me is that I can live in a country 
where much attention is given to the effects of external stimulus on a baby inside. And studies are done about that, talking to the child because they recognize your voice when they come out. I don't know if this is true, okay? Playing music for them, and I have heard statistically and by observation, children react differently to different kinds of music as do adults and children. What does that say to you? What does that say? What does that evidence demand? I think it demands a verdict. That what lies within is a life created for the glory of God and by the glory of God. And David, he looks at it and he says, I praise you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The unborn, I believe, are consistently identified in the Bible as human beings. And if human at the, at the point of conception, then I must conclude that abortion terminates a human life. I think that is the compelling argument of Scripture. Second thought I want to share is this. Human life, and I, I just put in all stages, is valuable and unique as created by God. Genesis 1 and verse 27. God said, let us create man in our own image. Folks, there is no other being on the planet that bears the image of God apart from humanity. We are His unique, special, valuable creation. I have a, a, a friend, I was having a discussion with him about uh, creation. And we have a debate about six-day versus perspective of intelligent design over time. One of the things he said to me one time was this. He said, Tim, do you realize that the earth is put together in a way that it is best suited for habitation by humanity. And that humanity has the capacity to maximize the benefits of this world better than any other created being. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Put in a context that God designed for us to enjoy Him and His blessings. Very powerful truth. Human life is valuable and unique as created by God. So Psalm 139.16 can say, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. When? Before one of them came to be. That God was seeing David as a human being inside of his mother's womb and making plans for his life prior to birth. An amazing God we serve. What do we know today? We know that from conception, biological man is made up of 46 chromosomes that combine to confer a, and look, a unique identity at the time an egg is fertilized by a sperm. Your genetic makeup is established at the moment of fertilization and is completed. Your hair color, the color of your eyes, your height, your skin color are all established. Your talents, your gifts, your abilities the way you look, the way you think. When sperm and egg unite on, at the time of conception, a unique human being, this is important, a unique human being comes into existence while dependent on the mother for nourishment and oxygen. The child is not an extension of the mother. The child is an individual with a, and I love this statement, with a distinct, I love this because I didn't write it, okay? Borrowed with a distinct life trajectory, a distinct God-given purpose. When? When the child is in the womb. Now that is fascinating. Look, 
If you get disturbed with how God made you, realize He had unique, distinct purposes and plans for your life. Jeremiah 1.5, God says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I set you apart. God-given purpose and calling. When? In utero. Why? Because Jeremiah was a human being. Galatians 1.15, Paul can say, When God set me apart from birth and called me by His grace. What is Paul saying? From the time of my birth, God had a plan for my life. Therefore, I think we can conclude that abortion is an affront to the sovereignty of a holy God who creates life and gives it as a gift. Paul was a person from the point of his conception forward as perceived and seen by his creator. God made you, every person in this room, young person and adult, he made you unique, your appearance, your personality, your gifts. He gave you a purpose, and that purpose existed at conception and stays with you the rest of your God-given life. Therefore, to destroy a life is to disregard the value and purpose of God for that life. Folks, let me ask you a question. Why are people bothered by bullying? Why? You know why? And appropriately so, it demonstrates disregard for how God has made others. And that is, in the conscience, an offensive act. And when you see it, you want to stop it. Value the lives of those around you. Don't denigrate something that God highly values. The last thought I leave with you this morning is this. Human life, from conception forward, is protected by the laws of God. Exodus 20 and verse 13, the Word of God says this. Thou shalt not murder. If you go to Exodus 21, verse 22 and following, you find a bit of a, an exegesis, a drawing out of that command. Don't murder. What does it mean? Well, in Exodus 21, in verse 22, it says, If men are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, clear implication to the child, the offender must be fined, whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. That if in the process of that illegal squabble, there is determination of a life, then capital punishment is the directive of God for the nation of Israel at that time. Why? Because what lies within is defined by God as a human life. It is unique and valuable, and it is protected by the laws of God. What does it say? The Bible clearly rejects the unlawful termination of life. And our Constitution gets it right. We have the right to life. Our Supreme Court gets it wrong. That if that life is inconvenient, and a vast majority of abortions in America are clearly performed for convenience. It is wrong in the eyes of God. Five years ago, I believe right around Christmas Day, Scott Peterson murdered his pregnant wife, Lacey, in California. 
and was charged with double homicide. Much to the angering of pro-abortion people. Their conclusion was this. If that is murder, well then, anytime a late-term fetus is aborted, they could call it murder. Yeah, they could. And I believe according to the word of God, yeah, they should. They should. Jesus put it in pretty strong terms, didn't he? He said, if you harm one of these little ones, it would have been better for you. If someone tied a stone around your neck and threw you into the sea. Because God values human life at all stages. And I want to say, may God help us too. I, I don't know what that means for our church. My wrestling with this topic is application. I can say this. But I'm wrestling with the so what question. If we feel passionately about this, then what should, what must we do. Number one, I think we need to embrace biblical truth. It's an awesome responsibility. Don't downplay it. Don't shrug it off. At any age, in any condition or circumstance, life is valuable to God. Mom and Dad, value your kids because they are a gift to God, from God. Secondly, take a stand on biblical truth. When you think about this political year, try to vote your convictions wherever it is possible. My fear is that this year we may not even have that kind of choice. And the dilemma of that is enormous. Pray for your country. A friend of mine asked this question, can God continue to bless a country with such a practice? The blood of 40 four million plus innocents on our hands. And we cry out to God for his blessing. God help America. Sometimes I don't know what we should pray for our country. The fourth thing I would say is this. If, as you listen this morning, you're wrestling because this is part of your personal experience. And I know some of you have been honest enough to say, Tim, that is part of my experience. I want you to know that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for all of our sin. And that what he wants you to do, as with all of us, is to identify where your life has been out of sync with his will, his plan, his purpose. Repent of it. Say, God, in this area, I blew it. I blew it. I have blood on my hands. I need you to forgive me. Here's the cool return from God. His son allowed his life to be illegally terminated so that you could go free. He stood in your place and allowed himself to be physically terminated in the most brutal way so that the price of your sin would not have to rest on your shoulders. 
And that forgiveness that flows freely and completely and adequately is available to anyone who comes to God and says, God, I'm the sinner. Doesn't try to cover it. Oh, I didn't know. what. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just go to God and say, God, today I have something I need to confess. And I need to be washed in the cleansing blood of the Savior who loved me and gave himself for me so that your life can be different and you can be free. I can't imagine the burden that you bear. I can't. I can't. But I want you to know that there is forgiveness and you can be free. Completely free as a gift from God for all who believe. Before we close our service this morning, I want to I ask you to do something. I'm going to ask that the lights be turned down. The worship team would come. And Jillian, if you could just play our closing song which flows out of Psalm 139. I want you just to take a few moments in the quietness of your heart this morning. If this has been part of your life and you say, Pastor Tim, I never knew. I never knew what I was doing. I would beg of you just to bow before God and say, God, I confess my sinful choice. And I acknowledge your sovereignty. I acknowledge your free gift of life through the Savior. Cleanse me by his blood. If you're here this morning as a Christian and you have had opportunity to speak the words of life but have failed to do so for fear of being misread or misunderstood or rejected, maybe as a church family, we need to go to God this morning and say, God, that's been us. Forgive us. Forgive us. And some of you may need to say, God, I need to seek out help in overcoming this guilt. There are ladies in our church who would be, out of their own experience, more than willing to share with you the free grace of God that flows for every sin. There are cards on the table in the back if you need help in this area. There are specific ladies in our church who have made themselves available to help you. They, their story is your story. You need to seek them out and find help. I just ask you to pray for the mercy of God in our country and for a reversal of this ruling that allows the termination of human life. Let's give you a few minutes to pray and then I'll close this in prayer as we sing, prepare to sing our closing song this morning.
Father, as we bow before